This is Paul Semendinger, author of Roy White, From Compton to the Bronx and The Least Among Them. And you are listening to the Baseball and Barbecue Podcast with Jeff and Leonard. Enjoy, because it's the best. Studios of Baseball and BBQ on Long Island, New York. This is the post-Thanksgiving episode of Baseball and BBQ, episode number 213. I am Jeff Theo Cohen, and that is Leonard Hollywood Aberman. We welcome you back to our show, Leonard. Jeff, I'm still stuffed. I've got yeah. a trip to fan. I, I can't I keep sleeping. It's gotta be all that turkey. I'm stuffed, but I'm also a very thankful. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Hope you had a very nice Thanksgiving. I did. How about yourself? It was very nice. Now, the question is on a barbecue podcast is, did you cook the turkey? Did not cook the turkey. You know, a couple of years ago when I went to my sister's in Pennsylvania, my brother-in-law did barbecue a turkey. But this year, I went out to uh, my niece and nephew and my stepbrother out in Phoenix, Arizona. So they did not barbecue. Very nice. And well, you know, knowing your brother-in-law, your brother-in-law, Michael, it would, I would be shocked if he didn't cook the turkey. So oh, I'm sure he, I'm sure he did. And I'm sure it was delicious. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, I did not cook the turkey either. That doesn't mean I won't be cooking. Maybe, you know what, maybe I'll go get a turkey on sale now that it's after Thanksgiving. And Maybe I'll make that because, you know, this is the time of year when you just you crave turkey. Big turkey season. You know, you have Thanksgiving, obviously, that just passed. Right. And of course, Christmas, Kwanzaa, pass, uh, Passover, <laughs> Hanukkah, <laughs> you know, the big family gatherings. And turkey right. is always perfect for that. Yeah. So absolutely would would love that. You know what you can cook your, your turkey on? Yeah. What? A, a new grill from Can K Barbecue. Oh. You know what I'm thankful for? Your incredible that, segues. That segue, right? I'm thankful for that. Yes. Kanke Barbecue is going to be with us. We've got three people from Kanke Barbecue. We also have Joel Goldberg on this episode, who is from the Kansas City Royals. Not a player. He's a broadcaster. We've got Joel. We've got Kanke. Let me just tell you guys what else we have. We have the last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. Bet online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action 
along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. So head to the bet online today and remember to use our promo code believe that's B L E A V for your 50%. Yes. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online. It is where the game starts. And how are we going to start Leonard? Jeff, we're going to start with Joel Goldberg from the Kansas City Royals. We spent time at Kaufman Stadium, and it was great. Wish we had met Joel when we were there, but it was a pleasure speaking to him. I think everybody's really going to enjoy this. So here he is, Joel Goldberg. A native of Philadelphia and growing up in Chicago, Joel Goldberg has been a member of the Kansas City Royals television broadcast team and just completed his 16th season, serving as the host of Royals Live, a pregame and postgame show for the aforementioned Kansas City Royals. A graduate of the University of Wisconsin, Joel built a 25-year career developing and maintaining strong relationships with professional athletes, coaches, and team management, and he now shares those stories and strategies with companies and associations live, on stage, and virtually. He has hosted a weekly podcast called Rounding the Basis since 2017. His first book, Small Ball, Big Results, was published in December 2020. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Joe Goldberg. Welcome, Joe. Good, good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Very excited, especially, the, I'm I'm going to kick it off tonight. Jeff and I just celebrated recently uh, our 200th episode. Ah, congrats. Uh, thank you. Which I thought was a big deal till I saw that your podcast has like close to a thousand. <laughs> but we're going to get to that. Yeah, it's but not just... a competition. 200 is a good round. We love round numbers, though, right? So, yeah. yes. We, you know, uh, and, and in defense or against me, we start every season at 100, 200, 300. We did actually do, just finish season eight, we did get from i think 800 to 899 but there's no magic number some years we might have done 40 so, so it's not an even 900 episodes i don't know uh, <laughs> it's more than 200 it's less than what we said whatever we're all having fun doing this yes. exactly nobody's nobody's got although I, I don't know you're gonna get some accountant or something you know i don't want to <laughs> insult the, accountants feel like counting wait a minute the, pod, the podcast audit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly <laughs> Joel, what I was going to say was we we so Jeff and I, as to honor the 200th episode, we took a trip to Kansas City. So my first question is, can we trade places? I love it. <laughs> Kansas City. It, you know, it's a hidden gem. And I think, you know, from a baseball standpoint, I think people have enjoyed Kauffman Stadium, formerly Royal Stadium for a lot of years. Obviously, the barbecue, legendary. But. It's really, I've been here 16 years and it's really a city that has taken off in recent years and it's becoming a lot younger. It's becoming a, a fun place to be, you know, and in a day and age of, um, especially for the younger generation, affordability and um, it's a much more affordable place to live. Now, you know, we don't have beaches, we don't have oceans, we don't have this, we don't have that. Um, we're in the middle of the country though. It's an easy place to to get to and it, it really has a, a nice vibe and a friendly place and all that going right now that's that's terrific and yeah like glenn said we went to a, a game at kaufman stadium oh yeah uh, we we saw the royals and cardinals which you work for both teams and uh 
you know, it's the first time I've been in Kansas City, and I know I know the Royal Stadium or Kauffman Stadium is one of the older stadiums in, in all of baseball. But it's a beautiful place, I got to tell you. We, I really enjoyed it. The atmosphere is terrific. Concessions and the people just, I love the, and I love the Hall of Fame too. You know, they redid the stadium in 09. And by redid it, I mean, if you look at any of the old video, there was never anybody in the outfield, right? In the old days, there might be a, a car up on a stand, you know, hit the car and whatever happens, that type of thing. But in 09, they made it a full 360. And so, you know, they added everything to seats below the fountains in some cases above the fountains they're standing room above the fountains i mean i think that there is to me probably nothing more iconic in terms of kansas city sports at visually looking at something than those fountains and so without the fountains without some of the other things that they've done it probably looks like a lot of the stadiums built during that time period and uh, not you know not quite the cookie cutter but remember all those stadiums in the 80s now kaufman was mm-hmm. built in 73 or opened in 73, built leading up to that. But I think the fountains truly make it. I mean, if you know stadiums and baseball and you take one half a second glance and see the fountains, you know exactly where you're at. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but, Joel, we sometimes we cut all over the place. So we got to start with, you know, you and basically tell us about yourself. How, how did you get, you know, you didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to broadcast for the Royals. So. Give us a little origin story, if you will, please. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think if I'd grown up in Kansas City, it'd be very easy for me to say that since the time I was a little kid, I wanted to broadcast (laughs) Royals baseball, and and that was not the case. And it's not the case for most of us in in this business, whatever sport we're covering or uh, or whatever from a broadcast standpoint. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, South Jersey. We moved to Chicago. My dad had a job transfer when I was 13 years old, you know. Played sports not very well like any kid. Loved sports, every sport. Couldn't get enough of it. Watch every moment of everything. I, I, I'm conv- I always love when, and this happens a lot, you know, somebody says, my son, my daughter watches every game and knows every stat. Well, you know, I mean, everybody says that. And I'm not doubting it's true. That was me. Those kids know more, more now than I know. Maybe it's because we get older and we forget things and all of that. Or maybe it's when we get older, we we know what we need to know. We know what we want to know, but we don't know everything. But that was me as a kid. And, you know, I think I figured out pretty quickly that I wasn't going to play any sport at a high level. So what's the next best thing? Talking about it. And I, I knew from maybe as early as there's evidence. I don't actually have it, but at least anecdotally, there is evidence of me disrupting either first or second grade. I don't know what year because the, the first grade teacher moved up with us to second grade. Complaints to my parents about me disrupting class, trying to tell everybody what happened in the games the night before, every day, over and over again. You know, get up, <laughs> even at that age, first, second grade, looking at box scores in the newspaper and the Philadelphia Inquirer. I always, from that day up until this day, always wanted to be the one to tell everybody what was happening. Give everybody the update, you know, all of that type of stuff, which is, by the way, harder to do nowadays because, like, you know, I'll, I'll text my son, did you see what happened? Like, And if I don't do it the moment it happens and beat the alert that comes out on social media... Everybody has breaking news now. But I, I wanted to get into television. I wanted to be the local sports guy on the news. And so whether that was maybe one day I could get back to Philadelphia or maybe one day I could get back to Chicago where where I really consider home. And I started in television news and doing sports on the local news, small towns and then bigger towns and kind of climbed the way up and eventually went from local television news in St. Louis covering the 
Cardinals and the St. Louis Rams back when they had the greatest show on turf and football and St. Louis Blues and college sports and high school sports to moving to the regional and traveling with the Cardinals. And then in 08, I left St. Louis to come here to Kansas City to have the same job, but more responsibility. And for 16 seasons, I've been the the one guy that hosts every pre and post game show on the network and does every in-game report and does every interview. And being in a smaller market, not having NHL and NBA here, you don't really need to hire a whole lot of other people. And so you go to every other region and maybe somebody does this one thing and somebody does that one thing and or they rotate to the NBA or to NHL. But I get to do it all. And so it was interesting. And there came a certain point where my family loves it here in Kansas City. Um, I didn't think this would be the end destination. There came a certain point where I thought, boy, this this is where I want to be. This is pretty good. And there are no guarantees with any, any of this. I have no idea how I'm still here after 16 seasons. And I've got some ideas, but um, it's home. It's amazing. And, and I tell people all the time, they, they pay me to travel the country and, and go on television and talk about baseball. What more could you want? Doesn't doesn't suck. That's that, no. that's for sure. <laughs> you started out going in in small towns and oh, yeah. I guess in Wisconsin and kind of like doing you know coming coming up through the minor leagues to the big leagues, right? I think Jeff, that's exactly the best way to describe it. Like I'll, I'll tell you know big league ball players who have lived every bit of the you know I mean every big league ball players lived that life unless your name is you know Ken Griffey Jr. or someone right there. They're those handful of guys that fly through the minors and debut at 19, 20 years old, right? But that that doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. I mean, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. made his big league debut here in Kansas City at 21. Eric Hosmer made his big league debut at 21. Salvador Perez, 21. Those guys are outliers. Most of them have gone step by step by step. Less steps now that they don't have as many affiliations. But I view my first job in television in a small market in a town named Rhinelander, Wisconsin, back when I was there, population 7,800. Uh, there was a, a bigger town city an hour away called Wausau, Wisconsin, the known for Wausau, the paper mills. And uh, that was like 35,000 people. It was all the same market. You know, I, I'm, I'm a 22-year-old kid out of school in essentially the rookie ball version of television, where I can't tell you how many times I was sure I was going to get fired for screwing something up until I you know, later realized that everybody screws everything up there. That's why you're there to learn. And that's why you, they pay you absolutely no money, just like the minor leaguers. I mean, I, you made enough money to pay the rent and, and go get, you know, a, a dollar beer in town or whatever it was. And, and that was it. And then you, yeah, you kind of climb from, you know, rookie ball to A ball to double A to triple A and, and hope for a good role. And so it, it, you know, it was a lot of years to get to this point. And now it's been a lot of years staying at this point. Well, you are very good at what you do. I've heard what you do. And and you. I wanted to talk to you. I heard you on a podcast and it was very good. The question came up. I think it was someone that you'd want to interview. And you mm-hmm. mentioned Buck O'Neill. I know you're in Kansas City. And I heard you mention that you have some affiliation with people that were involved, not involved with, but you know, have something to do with Negro Leagues baseball, like maybe the museum. Do you know Bob Kendrick? Bob Kendrick's a good friend of mine. And shoot, I mean, my connection with that museum, you know, I think like anybody that has been through here, I'm guessing you guys saw it uh, when you came to town. I think it's one of the great hidden gems in this country. And I say that to any baseball fan out there that 
is unaware of it or hasn't seen it. But I also say it to someone that doesn't like baseball. I, it's a it's an American history museum. It's a civil rights museum that happens to involve baseball. And I, I don't know about you guys growing up. I never knew anything about the Negro Leagues growing up. I never heard about that. I mean, I heard the name Cool Papa Bell. I heard the name Satchel Paige. And then over time, you'd start to hear a little bit more. But once I got to Kansas City, it was like, oh, my gosh, this thing is right here. And Bob Kendrick is one of the greatest storytellers. I'm sure you guys would attest to this now. And if anybody is checking out this podcast, just Google Bob Kendrick Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Or he's got a show on Sirius XM. Black Diamond Storytelling is as good. I mean, I consider myself a, a storyteller. And when I listened to the way he tells stories, I learned not just about the incredible history, but also about how to be a storyteller. And when I say I, I wish I could interview Buck O'Neill, being in Kansas City, and you know, if you look at the background behind me as we're recording, I mean, there's Buck O'Neill's in a bobblehead, Satchel Pages over here, there's a monarch's pennant among my many bobbleheads and other things. Being in Kansas City is almost an extra privilege because we have the museum here, which means that Bob, when he's not traveling all over the country spreading the word, is available to come on our pregame show anytime. And that certainly happens on Jackie Robinson Day. We have a salute to the Negro Leagues Day. And I, I've always said Bob Kendrick has been on our pregame show more than any non-uniformed royal of anybody in my 16 years of doing this. We had my son's bar mitzvah party at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. I don't even know if anybody had ever done that before. They do host events there. It's just when people come to Kansas City and they want to know where to go, I tell them that it's the first stop. And there's also an incredible World War I museum here as well. And I, th- I love history, that either one of those are a great place to start, and there's barbecue near both of them. But I, this Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is is so cool. And to have the opportunity in my role on television to be in the same town and to be able to spread that word in my way and in our way on television with more access than really anybody else around the country gets is such a privilege. And the history of those players in that league, and you'll hear Bob say it a lot, um, it it's not all a sad story. Right. Um, it's an important story. But these guys basically had the spirit of saying, you don't want us, we'll do our own thing. And it was just as good as the big leagues, if not better. Exactly. Here, here. Yeah, we had the uh, privilege of speaking to Bob Kendrick a couple of times, and you're right. What what a storyteller he is. How did someone get to the Buck O'Neill seat at at Royal Stadium or uh, Kaufman Stadium? It's a pretty cool thing. And, and, you know, when I said that I wish that I had had the chance to interview Buck O'Neill, it's a strange thing because I feel like I know the man so well, in part because I've told so many of these stories, in part because I truly believe that Bob Kendrick is an extension of Buck O'Neill. And I've, you know, I'm sure I've read Joe Putznanski's book, The Soul of Baseball, probably four times. It's a, if anybody's listening, it's a great every two to three years pick me up, you know, just a reminder of how to treat people better, how to find the silver lining and the positive in anything. And so, you know, the one thing I always, people that I work with, my broadcast partner, Jeff Montgomery, um, guys that have been around longer than me, they have just the best stories of seeing Buck O'Neill at the stadium all the time and sitting in that seat. And so that seat is red. It's the only red seat in the stadium. And they take submissions, nominations for people that have done good things in the community or people that have overcome something amazing, people that they believe channel the 
the the spirit of Buck O'Neill. And so at 81 games a year, they have 81 different people that get to sit in that seat and they show them on the Jumbotron and we show them on our broadcast and tell a little something about each person. And, you know, they've, they've done incredible things or overcome odds and, and all of that. And it's just, it's such a cool thing to have, not just a one day, but at every single game, a Buck O'Neill mentioned. And then on salute to the Negro leagues day where they'll wear Monarchs jerseys. And you guys learned this too. The Monarchs were the class of the Negro leagues. The Monarchs were the the Yankees or whoever you want to call them. You know, and so you had Satchel Page at one point. You had Jackie Robinson briefly there before moving on to, I think, the Montreal Royals before going to the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, the names that came through here were, were unbelievable. Kansas City was a, a hopping place. And so to be able to recapture that history, when they do the salute to the Negro Leagues Day, uh, the Royals always wear a version of the Monarchs jerseys and the other team will wear. Like this year, it was the Houston, the Astros were in town and they wore the Houston um, Eagles jerseys which I never even knew about the Houston Eagles. And Dusty Baker told us that he never knew a whole lot about them either. Uh, this is coming from a guy that has been to lunch with Cool Papa Bell and was mentored by Hank Aaron. And and the Houston Eagles, I think were I think they were still called the Eagles, were only in Houston a couple of years before moving, but they came from, from Newark, New Jersey, where they were a really big yeah. deal, the Newark Eagles. And so you get to see these old jerseys, whatever the other team is representing, and the Kansas City Monarchs and from different years, and they were different colors. And so, and then it, uh, in the seventh inning stretch, they play an old clip of Buck O'Neill singing, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, like they'll do with Harry Carey sometimes at Wrigley Field. So I just think that seat provides an opportunity 81 games a year to remind people of of the magic and the glory of Buck O'Neill and 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 that generation and that league of players. You know, Joel, people that listen to the show have heard this numerous times, so I'm not going to tell the whole story. But I'm just going to get back to Bob Kendrick again, because we obviously have a tremendous respect, you know, for the man. And you've expressed it. Uh, he was our first guest on the show. And then he was on a few more times. So we've had him numerous times. And then when we went to Kansas City, he was the person we most wanted to see. And we did. We sat with him. He meant so much to the show being the first guest, not caring listener numbers, nothing. He just came right on. And I, I gave him a hug and kind of got a little teary eyed. I have to admit it was it was very emotional. So I, I'm just bringing him up. I agree with you. He, he, just a great man. Yeah, it, it's. I'm glad you said that too, Leonard, because it's. There are other people like that out there, and you know, when I say that, I wish that I'd had the opportunity to have met Buck O'Neill and interviewed him. I, you know, I feel it's mixed emotions with that because I feel like I know the man, and I feel like I know the man because of Bob. And but I just don't think there are a lot of people like that out there. Not not with not the full package like that. There there are people that have the same heart as Bob Kendrick. There are people that can be dynamic storytellers. But when you wrap it all together, I feel like I'm I'm constantly talking to to Buck O'Neill. I can hear Buck O'Neill's voice in my head sometimes. I really can. And you know, from some of the old clips and just the amount of time that I've spent at that museum, it's just you know. Again, I don't think we can talk about this enough because I don't think anybody ever that starts to study it and look at it ever tires of it they shouldn't i mean it's just right. it's such an important part of history and and so often a, a part of history that was forgotten what bob is doing and everybody uh at the museum is doing so beautifully and so well is he is making sure that that history is never forgotten and passed along 
Yeah, and he is doing a, a great job at that museum, obviously. And I know they're raising money to buy to get into a bigger facility mm-hmm. where more stories can be told. And anybody listening to this has to go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum because it is just fantastic. Now, you've been with the Royals for tw- since for about 25 years or been broadcasting for 25 years, most of them with the Royals. Yeah, 16, um, 16, 16 years with the Royals. my 16th, 16th season with them, which seems like an eternity. Yeah. I don't say that in a bad way either. I mean, it's just like who stays that long in this business in one place, you know? I mean, maybe the right. greats do, but it's yeah, it's been a long time. Now uh, we have in New York, we we uh, we're Met fans, so I, I'm I'm sure you know Steve Gelbs pretty well. I don't know pretty well, but you know who, who he is. Sometimes he would go into the uh, broadcast booth uh, and relieve Gary Cohen and do play by play. Have you ever done play by play? A little bit, not a ton. I've done. All sports in some form or another, nothing, nothing major. And I've had uh, a handful of days. Actually, last year, it, it's it's not frequent. It, it's something I enjoy. It's something I wanted to do at one point more regularly. I love where I'm at now. I, I don't think I would. I mean, if somebody said to me, "Hey, we want you to come and do play by play for us," I, I'd have to consider that. But it's not anything I'm looking for. I don't think it's anybody or anybody's looking for for me because I've carved out you know this lane and this niche. Which for me was a great departure from doing local news and sports on the news. So I, I found this lane. I loved it. I get to do all my storytelling. Last year, Royals were in Baltimore, 2022, and we had one or two COVID instances. I think I think the radio booth basically got wiped out. And so our our play by play guy Ryan Lefevre, who does maybe 20 percent of the games on radio, he loves radio, but. Uh, the bulk of what he does is TV, and when he's on radio, the radio guy comes over. So the radio guys had COVID. He went over there. They ended up having me do the full series in Baltimore, Camden Yards, so with Rex Hudler. I'm all excited about that. Great. I'm also doing the pre- and post-game shows because it was last minute. It was just fine. Do it all. All right, we'll suck it up. It's going to be a long day. Well, Friday night gets framed out, so that's out. Saturday night or afternoon, whatever it was, gets rained out. So we have a doubleheader on Sunday, and then we were supposed to be off on Monday, and now a day game on Monday. And so they said they asked Ryan if he could do the the pregame show and straight to doubleheader. And he says, well, he could do the first pregame show, but in between games on radio, he's got to be there to fill. So I got the pregame show off, one of the rare pregame shows I've ever missed. I called nine innings of the first game, go right into the Post game show, do that. Call nine innings of the second game, go into the post game show for that. So it was basically, I don't know how many hours, eight straight hours on TV or whatever it was, pre pitch clock. So it was a little bit longer. Just remember collapsing when I got back to the team hotel and then went back and did it the next day. I couldn't believe it. You know, we all want home run calls. I, I'm not a catchphrase kind of guy. I'll, I'll dial up the energy. Full series. And I don't think there was a home run in the whole series from either. <laughs> or if there was, it was only the Orioles. The Royals never hit one. I think the Orioles might have swept it too. I mean, I seem to remember like Ryan Mountcastle having a big series, or I don't remember, but uh, maybe those were the early signs of the, the Orioles and what was to come. But um, a handful of games like that over the years, and and they know I'm here if they need me. Um, and if not, then, you know, I just talk about it every game. But in, in your experience, in 25 years of broadcasting, you've seen changes not only in the game, but also in broadcasting. Could you give us a few of them, a few of the bigger changes that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, 
First off, just from a pure baseball standpoint, the rule changes this year, I think, are, are some of the biggest that we've ever seen, specifically the pitch clock, because it, it changed everything. I mean, if you think about – I know I just came off of a season. Royals lost 105 games, tied for the most ever, most of my time there. And, and I, I finished the season, and I never hit the wall. 25 minutes a day, shaved off of every game. Think about over the course of the season, that's 65, 60, 70 less hours – at the stadium every day. I think everybody was refreshed by that. That that was a big rule change. But I I think just in general television, I mean, when I came here to Kansas City in 2008, uh, it was a brand new contract for them, Fox Sports. Uh, Fox Sports took over the Royals. And we were contracted to do, to do 140 of 162 games. And I think they, before I got here, they did like 100 a year. Remember, keep in mind, small market, Last place team, that type of deal. It's not in New York. And we did 140. The other 22 weren't found anywhere. There was no, there's nothing. You wanted highlights from a Royals game for the other 22. They pulled them off the jumbo strong. And then we started doing those and people started complaining about the other 22. So then we got to 162. Then we started doing some H- games in HD. And people were complaining, why aren't all the games on HD? Well, now you... Name me a baseball game that wouldn't be in high definition. Name me a baseball game that's not out there. It used to be, well, we're not going to televise this day game. Or for us, we, of those 22 games that we didn't do, Saturdays and Sundays on weekends, uh, or Saturdays and Sundays in September, because college football is huge here. You know, we're right smack in the middle of Kansas, Kansas State, Mizzou, and and beyond. Nobody's going to watch baseball on a Saturday and they're not going to watch it while the Chiefs are playing on Sunday. They may still not. But so those are those are the easy 12 games to get rid of. And then, well, we'll get rid of this random day game in Oakland and all that. That's been the biggest changes and across all sports. You can find anything anywhere. That's true of most college teams, you know, even a, a mid-major. Go find them on ESPN Plus or whatever it is. So I think that was a big piece. I think the other piece, too, is, you know, they're still trying. This is every market to some extent or another. They're, they're trying to figure out the streaming piece. Right. And and not all of our games are available to everyone. And I'm not saying anything that's going to get me in trouble here. I think everyone involved would like to make sure that every household can get our games. That's true in our market. That's true in most markets. But the technology and the streaming and the demands and what who wants what and how do you sell this? They haven't figured it out yet. And and eventually they will. And we'll get back to a point where everybody can watch every game at any given point. You know, I had a friend of mine recently say to me, I don't you know, I have YouTube TV or whatever it is, and I I don't I can't get you guys. And I've got a five-year-old, six-year-old son at home, and the only game on is the Mets. Sorry, guys. But he did say the Mets to me. He goes, Mike, I'm not raising my kid to be a Mets fan. And he could have filled in the blank of any other team. I'm in Kansas City. I want my kid to be a Royals fan. And the only way that I can see them is to go to the games. And that's true in just about every single market. So I think, I don't know when, but one of the big changes coming will be that next step, just as we put everything on HDV, just as so we live in a different world where everybody expects access to everything all the time. Here's the other big change I think that I would mention, Jeff. There are a million of them, obviously, um, in baseball, in television, in sports. We're in a generation now, and I think it's interesting. You know, when I got here in 08, most of the players that were playing in 08 no longer are in the league. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think. Zach Granke was here when I got here in 08. He's now here, was here in 2023 for a second stint for the last two years. But for the most part, all those guys have retired. Back then, even five, six years ago, you didn't have the bat flips. You didn't have – the only guys you had really doing all that stuff were 
most of the Latin American players. And they were told, you're not allowed to do that. That's not the way we do things here. And now we finally come to say, why can't we embrace that? What's wrong with that? Culturally, that was the way those guys always grew up. That's why you always hear about how much fun the winter leagues are, winter ball leagues are, and the celebrations. And it's like a, you know, almost like a World Series every game and like a concert and, you know, music and drums and all this type of stuff. Now we're getting to that point, I think, because all the players coming up right now, 2021, 22, 23, the Bobby Witt Juniors of the world, that, that generation, they were raised on social media. They were raised on viral moments. And I think one of the things where baseball has been so slow, and I know we love our tradition, but you know what? The game wasn't the same in 1970 as it was in 1950. It wasn't the same in 1950 as it was in 1900. How can we have a pitch clock? This game's never been timed. Well, nobody complained about it by the end of the year. The game still wasn't timed, but we figured out how to address the pace. You can't show up a pitcher like that. Put your head down. Well, it used to be that way. But if I want my kids who are 18 and 20, to continue to watch this game and their friends to continue to watch this game, it better be more exciting than it was in 1950 or 1970 or even in 2000. And those kids have been raised to pick up their phones and go right to every viral moment on TikTok, on Instagram. And whether we like it or not, I don't care if your 80-year-old mother likes it or not. I want her to watch and My guess is if she's watched all along, she probably still will. But I want to make sure that my kids and their kids are still interested in this game so it doesn't turn into what pro boxing did uh, or, or or horse racing. Still around, but not really in their glorious way that they were back in the day. And so I think we have to continue to change. Joel, when we were when we were at the game at Kaufman Stadium, we go to the Royals Hall of Fame. Two players are prominently displayed. One to me is to most to everyone would be obvious and that's George Brett. The other one though may not be as obvious because a lot of people probably aren't even sure he played for the Royals. But that's Bo Jackson. You know, cuz he wasn't there that long and there's a huge display. Can you talk a little bit about Bo Jackson and what he meant to the Royals? You know, before my time in terms of him being here as a matter of fact growing up in Chicago, I in many ways identified him as a Chicago White Sox star and of course the Raiders. But when Bo Jackson was here and it's interesting because when, especially a generation of let's say not twenties, 30 somethings like mid thirties to 50 years old, you know, people that would have been at that impressionable age back when Bo was here, he was everything because nobody had ever seen any, anyone like him before. Right. And he doesn't, I don't remember what the qualifications are. He he does not qualify to be a Royals Hall of Famer because he wasn't here long enough. Yet you could argue that he is one of the most probably top three, top five most popular Royals of all time. Because look, in a market like this, and you guys know New York, and you know more than New York, but let's use New York as a starting point. Um, I think Bo Jackson would be a superstar unlike any other in any market. But in New York, that's a different stage, right? You expect it's not Bo, it's someone else in New York, right? If Otani ends up in New York next year, everybody's going to say, of course he did. He's supposed to be. That, that stuff happens in New York, right? That stuff doesn't happen here as much. And when they do, they oftentimes go elsewhere. 
Carlos Beltran. People are already bracing for how long will we have Bobby Wood Jr., right? And so to have had a Bo Jackson here, to have drafted Bo Jackson, um, to have come up through the minor leagues, there is an incredible pride in having this iconic sports figure. And he was iconic, right? I mean, who was more iconic during his day than him? Michael Jordan. But who else? Dion. I think Bo was bigger than Dion. I mean, just start talking about the marketing and the commercials, right? All the Bo knows commercials. What was more iconic than Bo Jackson than Michael Jordan? There's a reason why people are going crazy right now over all the Taylor Swift stuff. Because you start to talk about figures like that and their transcendental, trans, transcendental, transcendental figures. I'll get that right. I'm a broadcaster for a living, but we don't usually use words that big on, on TV. But those type of people don't generally end up in Kansas City. This is a small market town. It's an amazing town, everything that I said. So I think there's an incredible pride to the fact that the legend of Bo Jackson, and I don't know, you guys remember, I mean, no matter how big we make him out to be, we're not exaggerating. No. Like, there no. was no one like him. No. And so... I was a star. There is an age range of fans here that maybe were a little too young to remember the heyday of the the Royals-Yankees great rivalries in the late 70s, you know, into 1980 when the Royals knocked them off and then lost to the Phillies, or even up to 85, where maybe they were young. But for someone that was a teenager in their early 20s, Bo was it. Bo might have been the only great thing that they had to root for. And so, you know that, uh, by the way, I'm off track a little bit, but that that led, I'll give you guys this because it's a fun story and it's related. That legendary, play, we've been seeing a lot of this lately, that legendary inside the park home run that Deion Sanders hit at Yankee Stadium that we've been seeing a lot in highlights because everybody's talking about Coach Prime now. And, you know, and the younger right. generation has no idea how, ridiculously amazing Deion Sanders was in football and a really good baseball player too. He wasn't just a dabbling and he was a, a good baseball player. You guys know this. Yeah, he was. Yeah. That yep. legendary inside the park home run that he hit at Yankee stadium was Bo Jackson diving for that ball. And Bo went on the, in the injured list, the then DL for weeks, because I think he separated his shoulder. Uh, Bo was sprawled flat out trying to catch that ball. It got bought by him. That's the first piece of the story. No one, I haven't heard anyone talking about that in the clips lately when they show it that those were the two most unique players in the game and maybe the two most unique we've had since Shohei Otani just because of the level that they played football. Well, the other piece of that story is if you remember the clip and Dion's coming around and the throw comes in and there's a collision at the plate and he mm-hmm. kind of barrels or leaps over and lands on top of the catcher then Mike McFarlane. Mike McFarlane, one of the best friends to this day of my longtime broadcast partner, Jeff Montgomery. Nobody will remember this, but go look at the box score. Jeff Montgomery came in later that game, towards the end of the game, and he drilled Dion on purpose. Um, he hit him for that exact reason for running over his catcher. Wow! Yeah, that Jeff, is a that, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a good story, that. Joel. Yeah. Yes, it's a good story. Uh, <laughs> tell us, so Joel, tell us a little bit about Jeff Montgomery. I I know he was a he was a relief pitcher, quite a good one. Give us uh, your your partner there. You know, I think that anyone that grew up. In the or anybody that was at the right age, teenage to older, in the nineties, if you watched American League baseball, right? I mean, if you grew up a Mets fan or a Phillies fan, maybe not as much. Interleague was starting at one, you know. Eventually, you maybe didn't see him as much. 
But Jeff Montgomery, and I'm I don't remember stats without looking them up, but when you when you've done thousands of shows with a guy, you just know this stuff off the top of your head. 304 career saves. Now, if you're gonna measure him to Mariano Rivera, well, you got to take two two of him. Yeah, you know, we, we had a joke this year. I said something like Jeff and I said, I, we, I call him Monty, so I, I can't call him Jeff unless I'm talking to his wife. But I think Monty and I said something to our oldest Chapman this year, like, hey, the two of you guys together, almost Mariano Rivera. But how do you get to that 300 save plateau? You've done something right. Which is, What's amazing about Monty is that I know it was a different generation, but he wasn't throwing gas. You know, I I, I think he... I think his fastball was probably, I'd have to ask him this again, probably upper, maybe low 90s. Killer wipeout slider. But he was a four-pitch closer because he came up as a starter. And the really interesting story on him is that he was drafted by 304 career saves, 700 career games. You could look that up. I know I'm right. And one career start. 699 out of the pen and one start. If I'm wrong, correct me, but... He's drafted by his hometown Cincinnati Reds out of Marshall in West Virginia. I think ninth round. I think he was, I don't remember if he was on a golf course or wherever he was. He got like a telegram or something like that. You know, I mean, it's not like guys were sitting watching the draft back then. It's not like you had cell phones or social media. He was doing his thing and he found out he got drafted by the Reds, pardon me, by the Cincinnati Reds. So he's drafted by the Reds. He grew up about an hour and a half from Cincinnati in a small town south of, uh, of, of Cincinnati, Wellston, Ohio, I think it's called. And he makes his debut as a rookie in 1987 with the Reds. His manager is his hero growing up, Pete Rose. And so now he's playing for Pete Rose. His first win came in his second game. Classic story. The Reds are winning. And John Franco, you guys know John Franco plenty well. John Franco is going to come on to close the game. He is what John Franco was, right? One of the best in the business. And so Monty's parents, uh, his late parents, both of whom I got to know very well and, and amazing people, his late parents want to beat the traffic home so they leave, you know, like in the ninth inning, eighth or ninth inning. And they're halfway down the road, you know, listening to Marty Brenneman, and uh, Franco blows the save. And so they bring Jeff Montgomery in in his second ever big league game because they're running out of pitchers in the top of the 11th or 12th, and he – gets out of the inning, still tied, and then Eric Davis hits a walk-off home run, and his parents are listening in the car as he gets his first big league win. Um, he had one start that year. You look this one up, too, against the Dodgers. I think it was Thursday night baseball, you know, the game of the week or whatever. I think it was Thursday night, but national game. I don't remember if he said Costas or Scully or whoever it was was a big name, you know, doing it. And I think Pete Rose had asked him, can you start? Yeah, sure. And they kept it quiet like they announced it the day of, and he started, and it didn't go great. I think he was opposite Bob Welsh, who got hurt. And then I think Fernando came in and maybe pinch hit and got a pinch hit off of Monty. We talked to Fernando about that at Dodger Stadium a bunch of years ago. And that was the only other start. Pete didn't like it, never put him, never brought him back, you know, into the rotation and then traded him in the offseason. I don't know. Did Pete bet on that game? And <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But um, I would hate to speculate about that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Monty would never speculate about such a thing. But anyway. Um, <laughs> he gets traded for a stud hitting prospect named Van Snyder. Now, if you could tell me a lot about what Van Snyder's career was, I can't either. <laughs> but Monty comes to the Royals and, you know, Quisenberry's the closer and all that. And eventually he becomes the closer. 
you know, you can make the argument he's the greatest closer in Royals history. He he would tell you that Dan Quisenberry is the greatest closer in history. But, um, you know, to spend every day. And the last thing I'll tell you about him, because I could talk for hours about him. We spend a lot. We spend more time with each other than we do our wives. And thank goodness our wives like each other. I'm going to uh, we're going to see him and his wife down in Naples, Florida, where they they spend some time during the winter in, in a couple of weeks. But he um, the most mild mannered. And easygoing, you know, he looks and sounds more like your accountant than he would a baseball player. However, and I, you know, I never got to see him pitch in person. Something changed when he got on the mound. He had a mean streak to him, that one that would choose to hit Dion. Um, I've seen him get upset maybe three times. And uh, he and I have been partners for about 14 years uh, where somebody did something wrong or whatever to him, you know, wronged him, whatever it is. There is a competitiveness in there that they all have you know, an intense fire, but for the most part, just calm and cool and collected working with him and hanging with him every single day. It's been, it's been the greatest. Great stories. I wanted to mention, uh, you have a website, joelgoldbergmedia.com. So you're in the media business. You give speakers, your speeches, I guess, public speaking yeah. to companies yeah. and, and corporations and nonprofits. Could you tell us how you get started in that? And do you know, uh, he was a Kansas city Royal, who was a, a great public speaker, Ed Hearn. I know he'd gone through some medical problems late, lately, but he uh, also was a uh, certified public speaker. Yeah, I, I don't know Adam very familiar. You know, familiar, of course. I, I stumbled into this accidentally, and and the, the very short of it is that, you know, I, I have my off seasons off. I announce a little of this and that here and there, some minor league hockey, different things. And and about seven years ago, a buddy said to mine, you know, what do you do in the off season? I said, oh, I'll call a hockey game here. I'm speaking to some group here. Oh, you do a lot of that speaking? Not much, really. He goes, you could start a business, you know. I never lived a day of my life in the real world. I've been in front of a television camera for now 29 years. I should update the bio to say almost 30. We work as hard as everybody else, but, you know, we're living in this playland. It's the best. So I never knew a whole lot about business world. But this this guy said to me, you know, you, you people would pay to listen to you speak. So then the question became about what? I don't think I could travel around the country and give people updates on the Kansas City Royals. I could do that for a Rotary Club here in town, you know, a church group, a synagogue group, whatever. But if somebody, some company is going to pay me to come and speak to them, what's it going to be about? And I thought, okay, well, I came here in 2008 and then general manager Dave Moore. I remember asking him, what are you trying to do here? And he said, I'm trying to build a championship culture. And they were a last place team. And then I watched it happen. I watched him build a championship culture in a small market. And I understood that that when when you put the right pieces together and you have to get that right in a small market, that, that you could be successful. And so I thought, wait a minute, I I could talk to groups about team building and building culture. And I could use baseball as that teaching tool. I could use baseball as the storytelling mechanism. And hey, at the end for QA, if somebody wants to Ask me about how are the Mets going to be this year? Who's going to win the World Series? Who's the rookie of the year? Who, you know, whatever. Great. I'm happy to answer that. But now I'm traveling around the country and, and a lot local talking about topics of building trust in, in an organization, which is the same thing as building trust with a group in a, in a major league baseball clubhouse. I can pick the brain of Joe Madden, which I did when he was with the, with the Angels and with the Cubs and the Rays for that matter, too. Uh, I, I've got access to everybody in baseball. And then I started my podcast, Rounding the Bases, really with the purpose of interviewing CEOs and leaders. And it was amazing because what makes 
groups successful in baseball is no different than the corporate world. So I kind of married all that together and between the podcast and writing a book and doing the speaking, it's a, you know, it's a year round thing. And I'm lucky enough to kind of marry both worlds together. And that's not anything I ever thought that I could do, would do, or even cross my mind. And now it's, it's a big part of what I do every single day. It's it, you're busy. You mentioned rounding the basis. That's we recommend that everybody you listen to this show first, and first, then yep, go yep. round the basis. But you had a, you recently had Alana Rizzo, but I I'll, I'll tell you the one that I really liked. You had your mom on. That was oh, right. thank you. That was so cool. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I'm gonna I'm in the middle of writing. I don't know if I'm in the middle. Maybe I'm a little past the middle. I don't know. I'm 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 in the process of writing book number two, and there will be a chapter on my mom. You know, again, it's all tying into baseball type of lessons. But Alana was a great guest. I I sort of had a thought when I started this that I don't want a lot of baseball guests. That's too obvious. But you know, if I can get my hands on a Bob Costas, which I did, yes, any day of the week. Yes, I've had Bob Kendrick on. Oh, we got dogs barking, so just like everybody else in the world. But I thought one of the best guests I've had from a baseball standpoint, and I'm expecting to feature her in my next book too, is Susan Waldman from the Yankees. Because, you know, we're in a day and age now where you don't really blink a whole lot with women being in a Major League Baseball clubhouse anymore. Right. That wasn't the case when I started, and it certainly was not the case when Susan Waldman began. And Susan's still one of the few women actually in the broadcast booth. More of the women have the role that I have, so there's still work to be done there. But I just love telling these stories. And, you know, one of my other favorite baseball guests, Jason Benetti, who is, to me, arguably one of the best sports broadcasters in this country. The fact that he is what the White Sox means maybe people don't see him as much. They don't get the attention the Cubs get. But you hear him and see him for college football games and college basketball games uh, now on Fox Sports and FS1 or whatever it is. And, oh, by the way, Jason happens to have cerebral palsy. You would never know that. But what an interesting story and an inspiration. And so whether it's baseball guests occasionally uh, or whether it's People that have nothing to do with baseball. I like, you know, we're all storytellers. And so, um, but I wanted to have Alana on in part because, you know, part it's like she spent a lot of years with an iconic franchise in the Dodgers and, and then chose to leave, which was not easy for her. But, you know, she got married, life took her to the East Coast. Now she's back with MLB Network, but she also has an amazing foundation, Gidry's Guardian. And who doesn't love pets? If you don't, that's fine. But, and most of us love pets and, and she's dedicated a lot of her life to to helping rescue and 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 you know help with this this problem. And so th- those are the things that interest me. Like I, you know, for me, I could do a base pure baseball podcast, but in many ways, doing my podcast along with supporting the speaking business, it, it's a nice escape for me and gives me a variety to meet different people, um, authors and thought leaders and on and on that I would never would have met before. If they're local, maybe they were sitting in the front row and they knew who I was, but I never got to meet them. So I think that's been one of the coolest things. That's what you guys are doing too, right? I mean, you guys, you guys are sort of the reverse of this, I guess, is that you're 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 bringing baseball to light, and I'm kind of doing the opposite, going a different direction. But I just think it's fun when you get to branch out and and meet different people yeah. and tell their stories. Well, speaking of, you're, we're 45 minutes in, maybe more, and 
you know what, Jeff? Joel is someone we could just like talk yeah. to just like Joel, if you weren't so far away, we'd say, you know what? After let's go get a let's drink. Let's go hang out. Exactly. <laughs> um, but we we respect your time. So let's just talk about you're in Kansas City, you mentioned before, barbecue. It's amazing that barbecue is huge in Kansas City. I mean, it's a whole nother like money revenue generate. I mean, if you took the taxes from the barbecue places, you probably could, you know, pay for snow removal in Kansas City. That would be cheap. But but, you know, anyway, what I wanted to ask you is barbecue. What do you like? Do you go out for barbecue? What's your place? Well, this gets to be such a difficult question in, in Kansas City because there are a million places. And I guess there's no wrong answer. When I when people come to town, I tell them, and yes, I do go out for barbecue or we order it in. And guaranteed, if somebody's coming to town, we're taking them there or we're ordering in. My two favorite places here in town, uh, one is called Jack Stack. And it's more of a, I mean, I don't want to call any of this formal. It's not like we're talking about, right. you know what I mean, right? But it's a sit-down yeah. experience. There's no counter yes. service. It's a little pricier than some of the others. It's to be worth every single penny. And my wife grew up here before moving away, and they used to go to it when she was a kid. It was called Smokestack back in the day. Um, but the other one I love is is Joe's Kansas City back in the day, not too long ago, really. It was called Oklahoma Joe's. Um, but now it's KC Joe's, or people just call it Joe's. And there's a bunch from around town, and that's counter service. And uh, they just, it's just so good. They're, this isn't even barbecue, but their fries have the most addictive, unbelievable seasoning on it. You know, the other thing that's cool, there they're, they're really are like so many places, and people have their favorites. Burnt ends, that's a really big deal here. Oh, yeah. um, they all have their different sides and their different specialties. Ribs are great. You know, at this place, burn ends at this place, brisket at this place, pulled pork at this place. And, you know, generally they all have good beans and slaw. And the Jack Stack has something called cheesy corn. It's as good as it sounds. And what's also kind of fun, you got mom and pop places. You go into the grocery stores here. There's a whole barbecue sauce section. <laughs> Any bigger barbecue place in Kansas City has a sauce that's on the shelves in the grocery store and some mom and pop places or somebody that just made sauce has stuff. It's the greatest thing. If I'm, if I'm traveling somewhere and I need to bring a gift, if I'm not checking a bag, I'm going to bring barbecue sauce and wrap it up and put it in there. And they got a little sample of gift things and all that. Otherwise you get a dry rub and you, and you bring them that you can't go wrong with bringing people anything barbecue sauce related anywhere around the country. I, it's really unique here. And there are other, you know, Texas is like that. Nashville, not Nashville, Memphis is like that. Carolina is like that. I think they're all different too. I, like, I don't know how you compare one of the other. If you're, if you're here, you love here. If you're Texas, you love Texas. If you like meat, shoot, they even do vegetarian stuff. Then, um, I don't know how you can't love it. Yeah. Well, the, we, from the moment you get off the plane in the airport, you're hit by the smell. And these are just places at the airport. You got Meat Mitch there though. And the gift shops, it's so Meat Mitch is great, by the way. Yeah, 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 and you got shirts, you know, uh, the the sauces, the rubs. I mean, it's like just the the American <laughs> Royal has a sign. It's yeah. unbelievable. I've never been. The American Royal is a big weekend event here, with all kinds of barbecue competitions and this. And I've never been because it's always in September over a weekend. And I'm, you know, I, I got an invite for a VIP pass this year. I'm like, I'm not going to get there till ten o'clock. We were playing the Yankees, and uh, but yeah, it's everything here and. I'm glad you brought up Meet Mitch. 
uh, because that's a you know some of the newer ones that have taken off. They've gotten creative with their menus, so it's not just the standard. They've got just interesting concoctions. Yeah, most of the people that started these places won high level barbecue competitions. You go into the into these restaurants and you see ribbons and trophies and all, t- and it's it, it's big stuff. I don't know how to do any of it. Meet Mitch is really good. Uh, there's another place called Q39, which is off the charts ridiculous. Those are also sit down type of places. I mean, guys, I could I could list off a hundred of them right now. Yeah, and 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 people will be happy with any one of them. Yeah. I got I got to tell you, Len really liked the cheesy corn though when we had it at Jack Stack. So pretty darn good, isn't it? Oh, no, it sure is. Yeah, and it's corn, <laughs> so you know it's kind of a vegetable. So I yeah. felt like I was eating healthy. Yeah, I mean, like just because they put butter and cheese and all that into it, I think there's some ham in there too, or what? I mean, I, I don't know. It's all good. That that that's like like crack, or I don't know, never crack, but you know, I mean, you could just keep scooping that up all day long. Uh, I'm glad you guys. I'm glad you guys got some Jack Stack in there. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have been mad if you didn't, but I'm all the more impressed that you did. Well, we also did uh, Arthur, uh, Arthur Bryan and Slaps. That's what we did when we were there. So, uh, we, Arthur Bryan's is well, kind of that totally different experience than than Jack Stack, right? I mean, you're going to walk in oh, there, yeah. and you're going to slide on the floor, it's greasy, and it's a it's that's right by the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Yeah, that's yeah. what we did. We walked great right classic old school. <laughs> well, Joey, thank you for your time. The, the website's joelgoldbergmedia.com. Get the book, Small Ball, Big Results. You're on, you have your podcast. I know you're on YouTube. Joel, this has been a great time. Thank, thank you for taking the time to come on Baseball and BBQ. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, guys, it's great to be able to visit you. I love the passion that, that you both have for baseball. We get New York Times two next year with the, with the great new balance schedule. So we have the Mets in April. Uh, I mean, at the Mets in April and then at the Yankees in September. So uh, a couple of visits to, to your great area and, um, I appreciate it, Jeff and Len. Thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, it too. Much. Maybe, maybe we can meet you in April. You know, you never let's, know. Let's uh, let's do City Field in April. Uh, there you go. <laughs> we're there. All right. Thank and, you very thank, much. Thank Joel. you very much. Have a thank wonderful night. And thank you, Joel. Interesting conversation, Leonard. Yeah, it was great, Joel. Thank you again for being with us. And uh, Jeff, now that the holiday season is in full swing, although. I I think it it was in full swing like a month before <laughs> Halloween. Exactly. Everyone needs to go. I said needs to go. It's it's really a necessity that you go to baseballbbq.com. Nobody can complain and say, "Oh, I don't know what to get so and so." No. There's baseballbbq.com, grilling tools and accessories, baseball bat handle, Tongs, forks, spatulas, so many other items. Cutting boards shaped like home plate. Cutting boards shaped like baseball jerseys. And you could get anything you want engraved on it. So BaseballBBQ.com for your holiday needs. And if you want to reach the show, just give us a call at 516-855-8214. Leave a message on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Message us on X or Twitter. At Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue with Barbecue all spelled out. And we do have some pictures from our time at the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame dinner on our Instagram page. We have a website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly. 
gmail.com. And as always, if you want to email us, baseballmbbq at gmail.com. Please rate, review, follow, tell your friends. Subscribe. subscribe. Yes. All that fun stuff. I hope everybody enjoyed our uh, wrap-up of the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame dinner. And I hope everybody's going to enjoy what Jeff has next for us. It's time for the Baseball Quote of the Week. The key to winning baseball games is pitching, fundamentals, and three-run homers. That's Baltimore Orioles manager Earl Weaver. Yeah. The three-run homer gave it away because he was the king, (laughs) the king of the three-run homer. Yes. Jeff, speaking of kings, we've got three. I don't know if they're kings. They certainly are uh, really great people. Uh, We have from Kanke Barbecue, we have Federico, Tomas, and Lara. And they came to us all the way from Argentina. They were at an event they have kankbbq.com, K-A-N-K-A-Y-B-B-Q.com. They're going to tell us all about their company, the special grills, and the and and the great barbecue you can make on them. So here they are, Kanke Barbecue. We are here. They are there. We are here. They'll tell all everyone where they are. But we have Federico, Tomas, and Lara. And they are from Can K Barbecue. I- I'm going to tell everybody while while you're listening to this, go to Can K. That's K A N K A Y B B Q dot com. You're going to want to see these beautiful grills. So Federico, Tomas, Lara, welcome yes, to Baseball and Barbecue. Thank you very much, Thank guys. Thank you very much. We are very glad to be here right now. A Good pleasure to, to meet you, guys. Thank you very much for this time. You're welcome. Federico, I'm going to start with you. Um, okay. So we were approached and we were told that, you know, these guys are, uh, there's three of you. We're, we're missing Nicholas, but yeah. that you guys are all uh, rugby players who yes, love to barbecue. We are, we are ex-rugby players. We are not right. playing now because we our, our our bodies is already broken. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we can't play anymore. But we are very nearby the, the the club, and we still have the the club life we always had, going to the to the club, seeing the the match, and having a drink and eating barbecue after the match. Right. So, if, and and you mentioned before, where are you guys right now? We are right now in a city called Pilar. It's nearby the capital of Buenos Aires, almost uh, fifty minutes by car. It's like a, a an open Yes, and it's it's an open place. It's an also open space with a lot of a lot of grass trees, and we are in an in a little um, house that it's like a representation of of the Patagonia of the sur, of the south of Argentina. Very it's, nice. It's a really it's a really elite. It's in a way to say elite event. There's a lot of money here. A lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an elite, did you elite did event. you? And, so, and they okay. are showing our and they are showing our grills, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about that, Tomas. Did you sell any grills tonight? I, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, they are, all right. They they are, they are already buy They are already buy it. Buy, buy them. <laughs> they are beautiful. So and Lara, you you designed these grills, right? Yes. Yes, I do. Tell us about them because it it looks to me 
is they're they're different than than our typical kettle grill. But I see that they well describe them. It's open fire, right? How, how do you, how do you make these grills? I mean, what what how would you best describe th- these types of grills? Well, they are actually re- really interesting because they are really versatile. You can do many many things with them. The the design begins with an idea, and then we actually make the three D model from them, mm-hmm. especially counting the way that our meat is cooked. So we offer our clients different ways of grilling our our meat and our vegetables. We have grills and we have a plancha. Yes, where, and the rock. And then we can have a rock where we can put different kinds of meat. We can put big animals. We can put fish. We can vegetables. actually vegetables. We can make mm-hmm. lots of things. We are really, really careful with the way our clients use our our grills so we make them we offer them uh, different things for example they can make the fire in a place and then with the brasero it's called and they make the fire in the brasero and then they put the fire in the grill and the grill have a parrilla and and a plancha where they can put vegetables meat fish everything that you actually want and then you can actually put the um, the different parts of the grill and wash them in separate ways. So we are very careful in in the way that our clients move different pieces of the grill. They can take, for example, la plancha and put them on the table with everything that is actually just grilled that is still really, really hot. And they can move it around and they can take it from the fire so they can cool off and I mean we are really really careful in considering all the different possibilities that our grills offer to the clients right a factory so we have metal sheets we cut them laser cut we then fold it we then weld it I mean we are really careful in every step of the production so we can deliver a really great product with high quality with high quality um and I don't know, it's really beautiful and really high quality. Yeah, they're beautiful. Like, Jeff, yeah, I'm going to let you go, but they are beautiful. They're yeah. they're mm-hmm. almost like uh, centerpieces. Like you, you, <laughs> yeah. they're they're absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and and yeah, I'm going to say are. that it's really made a it's really solid construction. You can tell by the way that they're made, and looking at some of the research I've done, it it really really holds up. It's not it's not it's not going to fall apart. It is really made solid. And that that's terrific. Yeah. And you can yeah. this could use both charcoal and or wood, correct? Yes, yes, you can uh, use both of them. And we are really obsessive with the aesthetics. We love that our products are really beautiful and they are really well made. And that's our our model, right? Lara, mm-hmm. Lara is always always looking forward high quality products. And giving the, the the customers the best uh, open fire uh, grilling experience, it's not just a good product. It's not it's a good product with the facility of take the product anywhere and use different type of 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 grilling methods, different type of charcoal or wood, or or mix them between them. And and she has a mission on on our products of of taking that kind of of level of experience 
inside our, uh, each our, of, of our products she, she designed. For, for us, the, the Argentines, it's not just cooking. It's creating a, an experience. It's creating a, a really nice moment around the fire. So, <laughs> so as Lara was telling, uh, we, we are always trying to, to produce that moment and, and to set our customers not only a grills, if not a, a, a whole experience around around the fire and and to create that moment with 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 the with the loved ones you know with family with friends and it's not just make a, a beef side to side and that's it uh how, how did you what made you get into the uh, barbecue business uh you know you, you you played rugby you guys and, and now you you decided to get come together and, and design along with lara the, the beautiful grills but what made okay, you decide I, to go into the I barbecue think business the, I, I think the the story starts also with a, an ex rugby player that is the father of of Thomas. He's he he's, he's still a, a, a fan of a cook uh, called Francis Malman. You might know it. Francis Malman is a good chef, uh, well known in every, in all the world. And he he started like do, doing some some grills like the ones we do. And Thomas and his father says, okay, let's let's build them. Let's build them for our friends, for our family, for our knowns. And there you start the, the, like the story and each, each new customer, each, each new client starts saying, Hey guys, I already bought the best grill here in Argentina. You should, you should buy it also. And they start like taking the grill to one house to, and to the other house. And from there, from, from that experience of, of cooking with our friends and uh, this thing of taking the grill uh, anywhere, we start like the 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 name Tankai uh, yes, that, and the that brand. It, yes, that it means in Quechua, uh, love to the fire. Tankai. Ah. Uh, oh, okay. And that's something that that really represents us, and that it's something that we want to show to to everyone. And 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 it, and, and this it really starts like 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 a game cooking with our families, and 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 we find that we have a really nice project, and that we have a really nice uh, product to to sell. And and it, it was day 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 a day. Yeah, it, it's know? a it's a business that started in the garage of of any home, and 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 the good product, the good quality, and the good message we we send in in each grill starts uh, creating a, a a good uh, a good market. Yeah, I got, yes, a good value, a good company. Yes. And now ten years after, uh, we are here. You know, in talking a, with you, talking with you in a super event. Now we have. Distributors all all around the all around the world in the UK, in France, in the United States. <laughs> really, it's amazing. Wow! So ten. So you've been doing this now ten years. Yes. yes, I see. And these are now are these made all made in a factory or were, were these? Did you start by making these by hand? Now, no. yes, uh, we have been we have been now associated with a really big big factory. But yes, we we started uh, with um, by 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 hand by by us. They they were handmade at, at the beginning. At, at the beginning, and but, but we, now we are we are producing big amounts of grills, and and we are associated with a really big factory. You know, and, and we and we saw that people was valuing a lot the the, the implementation of, of technology in the grills and in our designs. So there we say, okay, let's let's stop making a little bit handmade and let's start making a a, a huge production and stand, standardizing it. It says, yeah, uh, as you know, uh, when you start a company and you start making things by hand, 
it's a point that you need to 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 make it uh, big. You need technology, you need systematization, you need things to be uh, Henry Ford production. Yeah, <laughs> claro. You need things. Yeah, because um, every every Kankai grill it has a lot of technology, a lot of design, but mm -hmm. actually the welding process is a really handmade process. Sí, 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 it's very careful. It's very uh, custom looking. Uh, I mean, we actually have some handmade process at the end, which which makes uh, every Kankai grill special. It makes them really unique. really unique so um we actually right now have a, a big factory behind all this and we have many many grills uh, produced by day we finish each of them with a handmade process which makes them unique and really really good quality at the end i must say i'm looking on your website and you have all these all these sizes of grill. It has, it's a great guide because if people want to know what size they, they should get, you do actually have this the capacity of, of what the grill can cook. So up to six people, up to 20 people. And you also have another brand, Amara, that can go up to 35 people, which is a, it's really great, great to have, great knowledge to have that if you are in looking to buy a grill. And I wanted to ask you the meat rack, the, the iron rack that you can actually hang over the, the fire. Could you talk about yes. that? Because that's very unique. Yes, that starts with with uh, the history of the asador and the gaucho here in Argentina. That that uh, uh, so many years ago they cooked like the entire cow with directly in the fire. Here we call the estaca of, of the of the cruz or of either we call it in Spanish espada. It's sword in English. And they cook a lot uh, so many time ago, and also here the gauchos still cooking like that. Uh, uh, and we want to to have uh, our customers' experience of cooking similar to 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 the gaucho argentino inside our grill and take that part uh, to 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 the place you want. You can cook like a gaucho in in the beach. You can go like, cook like a gaucho in the Patagonia or in your house or wherever you are. We have some products that you can put uh, an entire cow. To, to cook like like open fire cooking or with that clam clam rack you can put a small uh, part of the cow. So so hold on a second. We have here in, in the United States we have what's called whole hog, and they'll you know they'll cook the whole hog, the pig and the, the whole thing, and they'll uh, it, it's quite amazing. Hours and hours. Are, are you saying that yes. you will cook a whole cow? Whole cow. Not not. Not in not not in our uh, clamp of the Mara, gotcha. But that's that's a like a a, a small uh, a it. small version of it. That that yeah. that's why we ah. have another, for example, another product that is called the the, the monster fire pit. That mm -hmm. that monster with a huge cage. It's prepared for cooking a whole ah. cow, a, a whole pig, or a, we we call it, we cook here a lot of cordero patagonico. That uh, it's amazing. It's what you you the lamb, lamb, yeah, the patarin lamb. That's it. It's amazing. Wow. It's what you say. We we are like four, or five hours, or eight hours cooking around the fire, having a drink with friends, family, having fun. Yes, but uh, the thing of our products is, if if you if you don't have a really huge space, mm -hmm. and you need something that is a real uh, a little more compact, you can actually experience uh, th that way of cooking. That is really 
yeah. slow and you can actually feel the meat with a different flavor and you can actually put small parts of the cow not the whole cow so mm -hmm. if you for example go to the amara you you can there experience that kind of cooking with a small piece of meat if you don't have a huge space Im to... imagine you guys where where are you from where do you live near we're, the beach? we're in new york oh, okay. oh well, no. <laughs> well imagine there you 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 are in the balcony in the, in the, in the balcony. balcony you are in the balcony and you want to cook <laughs> like an asador like a gaucho you need our amaro grill yeah but you, you don't laugh because here in argentina in buenos aires we have loads of clients of customers that they have the amara in their balconies we we are really fond of cooking meat in our balconies mm -hmm. so We, really? we thought of this this kind of customers that they don't have a really huge park or something a great venue to have the fogonero pit and they have just a balcony so you can put there a kankai or an amara and you can have the whole cooking experience with just a small balcony yeah and and you looking at looking at the uh, the grill itself you can there's a door where you can add more charcoal or, or wood Yes. Uh, there's yeah. uh, the cutting board, the right on on, on the uh, barbecue, which is uh, nice to have. It is and it aesthetically pleasing. I mean, it does look like a really nice functional grill for for, for, for all uses. Yeah, 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 guys, it's very functional. It's, it's, yeah. uh, and the, the nice thing that we 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 make a lot of emphasis on on the quality, so that the the experience of taking one attachment and and adding the other attachment. It's easy. You don't have to like uh, like being uh, arming the grill. You just change one part, put another part, and you're still cooking. And there you you start mixing the 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 type of wood and the type of of cooking surface or the cooking methods. Maybe you were like cooking a, a I don't know half of a lamb uh, three hours, and at the end you want to put a, a good piece of, of of meat to make side side to side. And yes, and put some vegetables uh, at the end, and you can change the attachment really easy and really quickly. So you can uh, go to the other method, uh, cooking method, and and have a huge uh, green experience. Not not only cooking one thing, one lamb or one stick. You can cook a lot of things in the same grill with different cooking methods. Do you yeah. do you feel the smell of 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 the meat here? I do. I smell <laughs> it right now. And I was going to ask you so. All right, you're the the main thing is you're cooking over open flame. What's the most popular meat to cook in Argentina? I think that the the, the particular uh, cooking part of the cow is the costillar, the the the, the huge ribs of mm -hmm. the cow. Ah, That's, beef ribs. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and here another another good uh, piece of of meat is what we call bife chorizo or either the El ojo de bife, the eye of the the eye uh, rib. rib, yes, I rib. the eye rib. Yeah, um, th those three are like the most uh, popular here in Argentina and, and the most uh, iconic. And the thing is, here in Argentina, we it's not so difficult to to have the that asado experience. You go to the butcher shop and just anywhere, anywhere, and anywhere. just buy it. Yeah, it's it's not like it's not like sushi here in Argentina. Is there is there a thing? The asada is so asada. popular here. Yeah, we have uh, a meat cut that is called tira de asado, which is the actual uh, rib, 
but the bone is cut like one inch high and we cook that way the meat and it's really really tasty and it's really really soft we we love it yeah actually. we love it it's, it's, It's one of the most. And also, we have like the the the, the well-known uh, chorizo with with the chimichurri. That's yeah, I, I think you chimichurri. you might know it. Uh, yes. Or you might you might saw some videos in on Instagram or on in other social media platforms. So there are a lot of popular uh, meat cuts here in Argentina that that are so, uh, we are happy that are so easy to to find them in in any shop for us. So I, I'm going to read something. We So you're, uh, I guess you have a, um, whoever contacted us sent us some uh, some information on you guys. And uh, okay. so Federico, I'm going to embarrass you for a moment. So, okay, let's go. Uh, it, says, in, uh, it says about Federico, introducing Federico, the grill god of Argentina. He's 29, sizzling hot, and he has two burning passions starting businesses and well starting grills and that's why on the seventh day federico said let there be canke barbecue and there was canke barbecue and it was good so you are the grill god is that what i'm I, uh <laughs> i will speak with the guy that was in charge of this uh, I, i think i think it was lucas Uh, but but yes, you 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 know I I am a passionate of of reeling uh, since I'm little, and I have like uh, uh, we we were talking about that I I have played rugby about uh, some years ago, and we have the tradition here in the rugby matches there, and we I, we I play rugby not like a profession. I was not professional; right. it was just a, a hobby for us mm -hmm. here in Argentina. It's amateur, and we have the. Um, The tradition of after playing the match, both teams get yeah. together in a in the club and lit a fire and start cooking a huge asado experience. And there we have a lot. The, yeah, we call it the third period match. And there you have asado, meat, uh, alcohol. We call it, we, here we call a lot. Of, we we drink a lot of fernet, and uh, and it's like a, a, a barbecue fest. I don't know how to say it. You start That's pretty doing, good. Dancing, yeah, a barbecue eating. fest. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. it's about you face really? that that yeah. maybe it's similar to what you have there or on uh -huh. the football or on the football uh, oh. matches or the the baseball matches that right. they you used to get together before I think of the match with, with the cards and everyone takes the barbecue. Well, we have like similar traditions, maybe in other sports mm -hmm. or or maybe after the match, but it's it's that kind of getting together with other people eat having fun and we don't care who is there it's just it's just part of the barbecue fest like we call here and well in, in that time i was in, in charge of 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 that part of the night so in, imagine i i have to make a saddle for a lot of people <laughs> now uh, tomas tell me uh i i want to know you guys are um You're talking to us. We're in the United States, so uh, you guys, where where in the United States, Tomas, can can we purchase these grills? Okay, sorry, I, I'm very. I will talk uh, from him because he has just uh, go a little uh, far away. Oh, you okay. Buy, uh, okay. You can buy our grills wherever you are. You are. We have an international uh, website that was right. the one you got. You guys uh, talk at the beginning, right? 
Um, and you, you can buy from your house, from your house, and in seven days, our grills arrive by the courier. And also, we have uh, one distributor in Texas. We had some some guys selling on New York that I think they, they ha nowadays ha ha have no stock. And how, how se llamaba? Chase, de donde era? Arkansas. Ah, and also from Arkansas. The, we, we have a good friend that was uh, is called Chase, that he also sells our grills there. And he's a good friend of us. Okay, so if somebody wants to buy, they, they should go to the website. Is that the best way to do it? And it's the easiest way. You just okay. enter. Buy the Amara grill that is our favorite, and in seven days you are grilling in your house with our Argentina with your Argentina barbecue in the balcony of New York. Mm. Uh, can I ask you about the flat top grill six hundred because that's another unique looking grill and it looks very very interesting. Yes, well, the the timbal was a, a huge mission for Lara. I, I have it here because it's not an easy it's not an easy product to build. Yeah. Because the 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 cone, the, the cone, the, the the cone size that has, uh, it has a really difficult geometry. Uh, it's ah. a cone based mm -hmm. geometry, and uh, you need that the customer can access it from around the product three sixty, and it it was a really hard thing to do because we needed to 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 be a really good looking product. And uh, we needed to meet different uh, metal sheets in a really smooth way. We worked really hard on on that product, but I think that is really the, great the, looking. The good thing about the the, the timbal we we call it here in in Argentina is that I was telling uh, Lara it's 360, you know, and you have plancha 360, and you can have Fede maybe cooking in front of me. Uh, some vegetables, and I'm in the front. I'm cooking some, I don't know, chicken or vegetable or or meat, and you can create a different experience. Wow! So, Lara, you but you designed these grills. You you so that flat top grill you designed that, Lara? Yeah, yeah, I actually designed them. Yes. Wow! So, what's your background then, um, as far as designing grills? Because there. I would assume you have to, there's more than just designing it. You have to know that the fire distribution is going to be a certain way. It'll heat up a certain way. There, there's got to be, there's, there's got to be a lot involved in designing these types of grills. These are not just your everyday run of the mill grills. Yes, of course. Um, I am an actual industrial designer. I have more than 16 years of experience in designing different kinds of products and in the last um i would say five years i've been um designing kinds of grills and ovens and cooking accessories and everything so i've been really uh, studying how fire works and how uh, charcoal works and the different uh, heat distribution in the food uh, and yeah, it's really a really nice process because it's really interesting for me the way like uh, you need to consider how oxygen uh, feeds the fire, how the fire stays alive and then how the fires really end up cooking the meat. So it's really, 
uh, a really interesting process because in the middle of all these things, you have the metal sheets, which really heats up and you have to maintain the heat in the metal sheets. So uh, everything is really well thought. And uh, it has many years of experience and, and, and working in this kind of products, right? Yeah. And, and then the other thing on this is the one of the things that, and I've had a couple of grills in my day, that it's great, you grill, and then the worst part is cleanup. And you have to, you know. So I, I would imagine when you're designing these grills, it's not just how they cook, but then you have to design them so that it ease of use and cleanup and that uh you know that's that's extremely important because if 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 that's a hassle you kind of don't want to use it yes of course um part part of the experience is cooking and then cleaning them right (laughs) that's (laughs) the part that anyone wants to do right but uh in our products that the surfaces where you cook they are really smooth and they don't have seams or they don't have um, curves. So when you want to clean them, it's really easy because they are really in one plane. So you can just brush them or clean them with a small drape and that's it. And you can take them off the grills so you can clean them uh, in a different place and then you can take them back clean to the grill. So, yeah, we, we thought in the cooking process and in the cleaning process. And we also, guys, ha- have the cover the cover of the grill for the yes. ones that want, don't want to clean the grill and has, has always the grill. <laughs> <laughs> and dirty, okay, you can put the cover and that's it. Now, you also have, so on, I, I love that, you know, whoever did this did a very good job on, on, the, on the publicity. Um, there is one thing here, and it says um, seriously Argentinian. Now it says learn the Canke barbecue flavors American grills can't match. What what are some of those? The the things the thing is the the following. We want to transmit the the Argentinian style, and we know everyone in the entire world, not not only in the United States but in other countries, cook uh, different ways. And we want to make an Argentina style cooking, but with the possibility of, of other, of other people in other country, mm-hmm. customize a little bit the way of cooking and, and involve uh, your culture in, in the cooking, in the cooking method. So that's, that, that's why we, we thought that with these grills, we can take a little part of Argentina uh, to the other countries, but you still can cook as, as as your way, as your way, or the Uruguay, Chile, Brazil, or any any other uh, any other country. And your your food, the food, the Argentinian barbecue is fantastic. So, <laughs> yeah. man, sorry, it's the best of the world. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> it's the best of the world. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Federico, Tomas, Lara, as we wrap up, we thank you for your time. I want to give you the hey, opportunity. No, thank you, guys. I want to give you the opportunity to let people know where they can get you. I said Can K Barbecue, K A N K A Y B B Q, but you also have some other social media. Would you like to uh, promote? Yeah, Instagram is the the one we use most. It's Can K Barbecue. Also, you can match us there, and you can talk. Uh, 
from Instagram or send us a WhatsApp or an email, whatever you want. Excellent. And I want everybody to encourage you to go to check check this out. Really, KenKBBQ.com. Really interesting stuff. And it, it looks solid construction. And it's just uh, just fantastic. Thank you very much. We know you are at an event, so we, we, we want you to go and enjoy. But thank you for joining us. Thank from you, Bernie, guys. Thank from you. Buenos Aires. Thank you very much. Thank you for yeah. your time. Thank you, okay. thank you very Take much, care. guys. Have a wonderful time. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you, man. Thank you, Leonardo. Thank you, Jeff. And mucho gracias, Tomas, Rico, and Lara. Thank you for coming to us from near Buenos Aires, Argentina. And I'm telling you, Len, those grills, they really look good. They're really, they're really made well, and you can just tell by the construction, and it's really unique, unique design. They're, they're solid, yeah. And Lara designed all of them. And yeah, they really are. Go to cankbbq.com and just look at some of them. I I really like there's one there. It's it's on wheels. It's like a big, it's very low. It's got those two wheels on it. You guys will see it. It looks very neat. So I, I wouldn't mind getting one of those for the holidays. A subtle hint. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Jeff. So let's let's wrap up the show by thanking everyone, telling everyone first that we are presented by Bet Online. It is where the game starts. But as I said, we're going to thank everyone as the show isn't starting; it's ending. So let's thank Joel Goldberg. Let's thank Federico, Tomas, and Lara from CanKBBQ.com. Most importantly, let's thank our listeners who we are thankful for as we have our post Thanksgiving episode. And how do we end? We end with another two people we're thankful for. And that is the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser. Jeff, what is the song? Baseball always brings you home. And we will see you next week. with episode number 214. Thank you.